mentioned that we were going to be spending some time looking at the love of God and how that informs our relationships with one another and how his grace and his mercy and forgiveness in our lives is really to be extended to the lives of those around us and how the Lord can inform and transform our reactions and our relationships. So if you would, please pray with me. Holy God, you have set forth a vision in Scripture for what the Bride of Christ is to look like and how the Bride of Christ is to be. Bringing the kingdom where we go, bringing the fragrance of Christ wherever we are, foreshadowing of what is to come. The body of Jesus. Forgive us for the ways that we fail, for the ways that we allow our own hurts and our own hang-ups and challenges and ultimately sin get in the way. Lord, help us in our flesh to decrease and you, Christ, in us to increase. Speak to us now. Open our hearts and change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Church conflict resolution. Woo. Anybody want to go down and help Sunday school? No. <laughs> our impression of, of conflict and its resolution and that sort of thing is probably not something that we look forward to considering and paying attention to and, and engaging in or even learning about uh, because it feels like we're, we're having to you know, lift up that easy chair in the living room and look at all the dirt that got swept under it, right? <laughs> um, but if, if we could sort of put away that idea for just a moment and look at this as the words of Jesus, because they are, and the way to abundant life, because it is, it's actually a blessing that the Lord has shown us a way to be able to live in holy relationship with one another, bearing with one another, extending the love, grace, and forgiveness of Christ to each other, rather than having relationships fall apart and spiral down. It's an opportunity to see reconciliation, grace, love, mercy, forgiveness, and truth all come together. And the kingdom of God be brought and God glorified in wonderful and powerful ways that will be a testimony that point others to Jesus and lift him up, if we will allow. So I want to consider for just a moment, and this is intended to be just a little bit humorous because I'd like to bring a little levity to the topic as well, because I can see a little of of each of these in myself, in my own reactions at different times to things. Um, you know, some common reactions 
to being hurt. Okay? So, um, there's the slinker. Okay? Right? You slink away and you go dark when someone says something or does something that, that hurts you. Um, and at that point, you know, you sort of sit in the corner emotionally and you brood on that hurt. And you allow it to inflate in your mind and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Does it sound familiar yet? Maybe. Have you ever done that? And then eventually, left unchecked, it's going to spread kind of like a cancer and eat you away from the inside. And eventually, you know, you'll do something to get away from it. You know, you might never talk to that person again. You might church hop to get away from this um, rather than letting the Lord heal you and them. Um, there's the slinker reaction. Then there's the reactor, right? This is, someone did this to me and you flash to anger and you let them have it, <laughs> right? You point out the failings, you wipe the floor with them, and you might apologize later, but you both will bear the scars from that reaction. Uh, I couldn't think of a really quippy, funny way to put this one, but there's sort of the righteous gossip, right? This is the, can you believe they did that to me? What should I do with that? And then you start to form this little posse of people around you. You get your coalition together, and you talk about that other person. Nobody actually goes and talks to the person that did the offending, but now there's a faction in the church that knows what this person did, and... You know, it changes and colors their relationship with that person, even though the offense wasn't even initially done, to all the people that now know about it. Then there's uh, my favorite, the keyboard warrior. <laughs> okay, so something happens to somebody, they get hurt or offended. And rather than go and talk to the offending person... They fire off a text or an email. Let me tell you, it's really hard to read tone in text or email. And, and for me, I'll just be vulnerable with you for a minute because I'm asking you to be vulnerable with the Lord. Um, my mind goes to the worst case scenario. When I get a text or an email and I read part of it as being snippy, or something like that, I have a really hard time not giving that the benefit of the doubt. It takes, you know, everything in me to not think that they now think the worst of me, or, you know, whatever the case may be. Now, I don't know if you can identify with that. Um, so, the keyboard warrior vents their feelings, but they miss out on a conversation or an opportunity for real restoration. It's kind of like a submarine, right? They surface... They launch the missiles, and then they go deep. <laughs> the missiles are away. You have no control over what happens with them at that point. They're going to land, but you got to say what you wanted to say. <laughs> right? And then we read in, in Romans chapter 12, 18, So far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. <laughs> right? What would Jesus have us do? Our feelings get hurt. 
when there's tension in the air, he would have us do at least these three things that we read about in Scripture today, in Matthew chapter 18. They may not always lead to perfect peace because it's dependent upon more than one person. But so far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So the first thing that we really want to pay attention to here is that we're supposed to be proactive. Right? Um, Jesus said in verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. You can't exegete that away <laughs> or interpret that out of its context, right? If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. And you might be saying, wait a minute, I'm the one that's hurt. They should be coming to me. I didn't do that. They did. I'm going to sit here and wait for them to come apologize. You might be waiting a long time. Right? <laughs> this happens to me a lot. In 21 years of marriage, I have done and said a lot of things and unintentionally hurt my wife's feelings. <laughs> and, you know... I can usually tell when I've transgressed because the body language changes or, you know, I get the look. But, you know the look? No, no some of you don't get the look, no. <laughs> but we're getting better, you know? Now it's, when you said that, it made me feel, did you really intend that? Because this is what I heard you say. You know? Um... Typically, when we have been offended, we expect the offender to come to us, but in, in fact, it's the other way around. The Lord tells us the obligation is on us, even when we think we didn't do anything wrong. So sometimes, we don't realize we've done something, right? Sometimes, it's an unintended oversight, it's a slight, it's a, you know, whatever the case may be. It could be something simple, a miscommunication, um, and left unchecked, those things can really blow up into something big. But if we will be proactive about it when we feel hurt by somebody, then we can nip that right in the bud and not allow it to take root and develop bitterness and division in our relationship and therefore keep it from spreading into the body. Because we are to value healthy relationships with one another, we should really want to let someone know that we've been hurt. Another reason I think that, um, you know, maybe Jesus tells us that we, as the offended, need to go to the offender is because it's going to cause us to examine ourselves even before we go to that person. You know, uh, sometimes when I'm initially feeling hurt, I have to take time to consider why does this feel hurtful? Did the other person really do something to me? Or is it because... I feel slighted, it tarnished my pride, um, or maybe they inadvertently stepped on a bruise that I've had from somebody else or from my whole life, um, and they didn't know it, you know, is my own hurt from a place of my own sinfulness? And if so, then I have some business I need to do with God first before I go to the other person. 
And then the final really black and white reason is that we were told to. It's a matter of obedience. God does not bless disobedience. But he will bless and add his power to obedience. When we are obedient to God, we are opening the door for the Holy Spirit to come in and do something that would not otherwise be able to take place. So as a child of God, the responsibility is on us, not them. We have to be proactive. The next really important thing that Matthew chapter 18 highlights for us is that the, at least the initial contact about the offense is supposed to be in private, right? This is really important. Um, you know, I, at the risk of sounding, making this, uh, you know, a little bit too juvenile, I see it all the time in the school. Mr. Huebner, so-and-so did this to me. And they're saying it in front of the whole class. And then the other person just immediately becomes defensive because they're seeing their reputation tarnished in front of other people, in front of their friends, and they're like, damage control, not, no introspection, no, oh, did I do that? Or, yeah, I did do that. It's all, I did not, will they? <laughs> right? I mean... <laughs> Kids do it, and so do adults, okay? Um, but if we go and tell him his fault privately between us and them alone, Jesus says, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. How many brothers and sisters have we lost because we have failed to keep conflicts private in the church? So... If we keep the dispute private between the two people that have the issue initially, it shows respect. It shows that you're actually working for restoration, not revenge. We keep the goal in mind. What's the goal? Restoration of relationship. The bringing near of the kingdom of God. If we do this and follow what Jesus is asking us, it says that we care more about them than we do spreading gossip about them or rallying a posse to our cause against them. And it also gives them a chance to explain their behavior in an honest and open space. You know, maybe they didn't intend to offend you. They might not even realize or have a clue that they did something. And a lot of times our offenses are just misunderstandings that are based on assumptions. If someone comes to us and says, you hurt me, you offended me. As a follower of Christ, we have to step back, take a deep breath. Put our defenses on pause for a moment and realize that this brother or sister in Christ is trying really hard right now to follow what Jesus asks us to do. And we need to put our own right to be understood and to explain ourselves on pause for a moment and listen to what they have to say and consider what's being said because they are taking a hard step. They are taking a real risk 
in trying to work for that reconciliation. I think one of the most obvious reasons why Jesus says to take it to someone privately first is that when we share a disagreement with a bunch of other people, we're just rallying forces to our side and people end up choosing sides. You know? Um, there was a church in upstate New York that literally fell apart and closed down over the color of the pew cushions. Right? It ended up being a battle between you know, the longtime members of the church and the newer people that had come and you know, it took place over the pew cushions. <laughs> but that was the catalyst for the airing of grievances <laughs> uh, between the, the sides. And they weren't able to be able, you know, to uh, work it out in any kind of way that allowed for unity and restoration. Jesus wants unity in the body. He wants <clears throat> unity in the family of God. And if we share all of this stuff with other people, it makes it really hard to have that happen. It only drives wedges and makes unity more of a distant possibility at that point. In keeping it private, we give the offender an opportunity to make things right before things gain momentum in the next steps of Matthew 18. Sometimes we might say, well, everything I said is true. It might be true, but it's imperative that we speak the truth in love. If the goal of communicating with someone is real communication, which is the transmission of an idea that the other person understands, we've got to convey the truth in love. So we want to ask ourselves some questions. What do I hope to gain by sharing this? Would I have the courage to say these things if the other person was present, right? And would I feel convicted if I said this in front of Jesus? That will stop a lot of, a lot of gossip and a lot of oversharing or sharing out of, out of um, the right avenues. It's important that we handle things the Lord's way because... If the person doesn't receive us and doesn't receive what we have to say and continues to hurt and continues in this process, um, then we do have additional steps, okay? Jesus says, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. It seems like we just went to a pretty high level of DEFCON whatever with that, right? <laughs> this intermediate step is really important because it's good to have someone who knows the Lord go with you who recognizes that the goal is peace and unity and restoration and can help keep things calm who can be relatively impartial and see the situation from both sides. If we're honest with ourselves, we can probably admit that our vision and understanding of a situation can be clouded by our emotion. Our hurt, our anger, our reactiveness. And having another person there can help us in this 
and help point both of us to Jesus. Another important thing about this is that oftentimes people who have no interest in a peaceful resolution under the instructions of Christ would like to make up stuff about what we said, right? And then have some revenge by coloring what we said in a different way or in a different light, and then we get misrepresented, and then more factions are built, more divisions are made. So having another set of ears in the conversation helps us not only check ourselves before we wreck ourselves, as we say to the kids in school, um, but also is, is a protection against further slander and further lies and difficulty. And if they are still unrepentant, it is clear that this person has not only rejected you, but they're not in a place in their life of faith where they are accepting the teachings of Christ. They don't value how their actions reflect on Jesus or on the church. And Jesus says in verse 17, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Does that seem extreme to you? I've only seen it play out once or twice in my life. Because usually people would like to have restoration and reconciliation before it gets to that, that kind of a point. But ultimately, the truth in love and in obedience is more important than numbers. Holiness and unity are very important. And if someone refuses to do what Jesus is asking us to do, then they have a much bigger problem than whatever was the initial confrontation between the two believers. So these things left unchecked, they spread, they do spread. When we handle these things with human reasoning and human emotions rather than God's, it's going to fail. And whole churches are infected and divided over conflicts that start between two people. The spirit of God is quenched, the gospel is tarnished, and the world and community around us sees and is ready to point out the hypocrisy that they are rightly identifying. So how do we do this? Right? This seems really hard sometimes. Um, sometimes people throw around the, the phrase, and, and I've said it, and, and it's true, you know, church trauma. <laughs> right? In one form or another, we've been hurt by other Christians, by other brothers and sisters in Christ. And for some of us, it caused us to, to take a step back. And we needed time to heal. We needed time to get over it, whatever the case may be. Um, but this is not what Jesus wants for his body. There are some wonderful promises that we're going to look at now in Scripture. Okay? Um, in verse 20, it says... For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I among them. This passage is often quoted in church when there's not too many people there, 
right? We have an ice storm and four people come to church. Well, wherever two or three are gathered. Yes, it's true, okay? But isn't it interesting that this much used scriptural quote is actually coupled in context with church conflict resolution? That's pretty significant, okay? Jesus is saying, if you're obedient to what I'm asking you to do and you come together to work this out, you're not doing it alone. I am there with you, healing and restoring, transforming and changing. It is a promise that is tied directly to the church and authority and the discipline of someone who's more interested in following the flesh than pursuing peace. So if we don't do this, the body of Christ is broken, the church sickens and starts to die. God doesn't bless disobedience, even if we think our excuses are noble. But when we put a higher premium on honoring God than honoring man, when we're focused on keeping Christ first in all that we do, then we have the promise of his presence. We don't do this by ourselves. Last night um, at this concert, the lead singer for We Are Messengers said something, and I'm not going to try to do it with his Irish accent. However, it really stuck with me. He stood up there in front of however many people were in this concert, and he said, he stands like this, and he goes, I am a duplicitous, messy donkey of a man. <laughs> it was great. I was like, I can identify with that. Boy, have I been double-minded about things. Boy, do I battle at the flesh and the spirit in my life. Boy, am I messy sometimes. Donkey. Yeah. Yeah, okay. But here's the model. Here's what Christ asks us to do, and it's found in the epistle lesson um, from this morning, from 1 Peter chapter 2. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that free from sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. We might not think about these verses in terms of church conflict, but at the heart of conflict is hurt, wounds, pride, misunderstanding, sin. And what is the answer? It is the cross. It is truth, it is grace, it is mercy, it's love, and ultimately it is transformation. It's power for holy living. It's submitting all of ourselves to the shadow of the cross. It's extending grace to one another, not because we are good, but because God is good. Lord, thank you for your word to us and how to approach conflict. Lord, I lift up to you right now the conflicts that exist in this room right now. We ask, God, that we would submit our wills to yours, that we would step out with courage and faith in obedience, speaking the truth in love, 
releasing your power for reconciliation, forgiveness, and transformation in our relationships, that the world would know that you are real, that you are powerful, that you have defeated sin and death, that you are risen and alive, and that it is possible to live a holy life in your power and in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.